Welcome back to season two of the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast, equipping you to successfully pursue the college of your dreams. We believe everyone deserves to reach their full potential and the admissions process shouldn't hold you back. I've been asked before where the Ivy League challenge came from. Where did the ideas come from? How did this program get put together? And there's a lot to the story. Of course, the program has evolved over the years and I work hard to improve this program each and every cohort that we do so that the cohort today doesn't look like it did six years ago. But I've told this story before, kind of the breakthrough moment where I had the idea to begin what eventually became the Ivy League Challenge. I've just never told it in this podcast. But some important details that you need to know to understand the context One thing is I always wanted to be a teacher when I was younger, but I loved teaching and teaching just felt like it wasn't a real job. And it wasn't that it wasn't a real job for other people. It just wasn't a real job for me because it was too fun. It was too exciting. I loved it too much. How could that be a real job? And I I recognize that's really, really foolish, but uh, that's how I felt when I was growing up. And even after I became a teacher, it was something that I felt like, you know what, this is just for a little while. But even after, you know, during college when I was a teaching assistant and after college when I actually taught in between my other jobs just because it was so much fun, even though I didn't have a teaching certificate, I wasn't officially trained as a teacher. I eventually did get one. And and like I said, there's a lot of details, but I left teaching to go get what I thought was a real job in my mid 20s. And so during that non-official teaching journey of my life, that that chapter, I actually took on a number of roles and they all ended up dealing with teaching. I was training, I was coaching, I was mentoring, and eventually I was the CEO of a a fairly big project, a several hundred million dollar project. In that role, I developed relationships with investors. I continued to train and build the employee team. And I continued, of course, to find ways to teach, even though I was the CEO of of a company that made me very, very busy. I was actually headhunted into that role because of my role training employee engagement. In my previous position before that, I was working with professionals. I worked with companies to help increase employee engagement. I worked with Olympians and with high performance athletes to raise their performance level in what would now be considered high performance coaching or in some ways is life coaching. But I did that professionally. That led to me being headhunted into a leadership role I was the COO first and then CEO. Anyway, none of those details matter that much except to say that I had gotten to a point in my life where I was used to people respecting my opinion. (laughs) I'll just say that. Uh, As the CEO or as the mentor, as the guide, as the expert, I was used to people respecting and, and appreciating my opinions and paying a decent amount of money for them. Then when my son was born and the hours as a CEO were just not sustainable, they weren't something that my wife and I wanted to continue doing. My wife, who was a full-time teacher, and I, who loved teaching, decided that we would go abroad and began our teaching journey abroad, and and it was incredible. I mean, it was the right decision. Okay, so uh, that's probably more detail than you need to know, except that when I started teaching, I was working with high school students. And there were all these little issues that I knew I could help them with, right? These little things about how they set priorities or how they think about how they're using their time or organizing themselves, how they think about themselves, all these little issues that I knew were reducing their performance levels. 
And sometimes I would try to find opportunities to bring up ways to share advice with these high school students. And every parent who's listening in knows what I'm talking about. You can be the world expert in your field. And once your teenager gets to that age where they're just kind of testing their boundaries and they're trying to figure things out on their own, they just aren't going to pay attention to you if you're their parent. Even if you're the world expert in that field, they're not going to take advice from you, even in the thing that you're an expert in. Often it's true for classroom teachers as well. That same scenario that happens in the home where teenagers are so used to being with their parents and they just see them as humans and not experts. In the classroom, we can have that same sort of thing happen. And it compounds when the students ask questions like, is this going to be on the test? Why do we need to know this? And that mindset, of course, is not a mindset that's conducive to, hey, I could be raising my level of performance if I was more intentional about it. Here are some things that I might be able to do. Maybe I'll get advice from an expert about how to... I mean, teenagers aren't in that state of mind, right? And as the classroom teacher, they're just hoping that I help them pass the tests and help them accomplish their goals of getting good grades in the classes that I taught, right? So that was a simple transaction. And when I tried to go above and beyond that, I was met with exactly the blank stares, the facial expressions that parents around the world can relate to. Then it happened. One morning, I was about to begin class. Students were talking to each other and the door opened and in walked three upperclassmen. Okay, so these students were sophomores. They were grade 10 students. And in came one junior and two seniors. And immediately, the classroom became silent. The, these students asked me as a teacher if they were allowed to share an announcement and talk to the students. I said yes. And I couldn't believe how automatically and how easily these upperclassmen got the attention of the entire class. It was effortless because the class actually cared about what they wanted to say. And it dawned on me, it's not that teens don't care. And by the way, I've learned since then that lots of teens do care about what their parents think and about what their teachers think. But this is how the story begins, all right? So I was struggling with some students that didn't care, and I know that a lot of parents out there can relate. But here suddenly, the same students that would be bored out of their mind if I tried to give them life advice, were suddenly absolutely engaged in whatever it was, whatever announcement these upperclassmen were sharing with them. And I suddenly had the idea. It's not that the teens don't care. It's not even that the teens don't listen. It's just that the right vehicle has to deliver that message. And I was in China at the time. That's where I was teaching that year. I'm not there now. I'm in Singapore now. But at the time I was teaching in China and the reputation that Harvard University has in China is even more outsized than it is in the United States, if you can believe that. And so there's such a reverence, such a respect for Harvard that I suddenly had an idea. These students don't want to listen to their parents. They don't want to listen to their classroom teachers, but they do care about what other teens have to say. And they especially care. Look how much they cared about what these upperclassmen had to say. So if we find someone who's roughly the same age, but a little bit older, and maybe we add to that the excitement and the just the overall positive feeling surrounding the Harvard brand in China, maybe we could really get these students to listen up. And maybe I could share the same advice that I've been trying to share, but through a different vehicle. And in this way, the students might actually want to listen. And so that was the beginning. That was the idea that broke through. I reached out to a couple of old friends from Harvard, students that I had studied with or that I knew about 
who were interested in the same ideas that would be excited to come and share, you know, study skills and life skills and leadership and all those kind of those decisions that we make that, that feel like the small things that so many people ignore, even though they're common sense, they're not common practice. And can we deliver great advice in a way that these students would pay attention? From there, of course, things move forward. I talked to the principal, we got the approval. I invited a couple of old Harvard friends to come out to the school and we did a quick camp. At first it was only three days, then it grew to five days. The rest is history because the students absolutely sat on the edge of their seats. They asked questions, they took notes and they responded and parents loved it. And of course that has evolved into the Ivy League challenge where we've gone from just teaching life advice and leadership and personal development and we've evolved into, actually, if you're already doing that excellent work, now let's add some strategy to that and help you stand out in your college admissions. And so that has evolved over time. But the reason I'm telling this story is because if you listen to me, you've probably heard of the Impact Project, the idea that you need to spend time figuring out your core values and then identifying a problem in your community that violates those core values so you can work to begin solving that problem. When you solve a real problem in the real world, a whole slew of amazing things happen. You develop not just grit and resilience, you develop emotional intelligence and leadership and problem solving. You have to become an expert communicator. You have to develop leadership and empathy. There's all kinds of these soft skills that are developed as you work through the process of solving a real problem in the real world. But something else also happens to almost everyone. At some point, you get stuck. At some point, you kind of lose focus or you just don't know how to move forward. And I want you to know that when that happens, you are normal. If you're in the middle of trying to do something really meaningful, you're in the middle of trying to solve a real problem, something that you care about, and you get stuck, that is not just normal, that's healthy. That's a part of this process. And you should know when that happens. Rather than feeling too frustrated, it's okay to get you know a little bit upset, a little bit frustrated, no problem. But rather than get too frustrated and get stuck for too long, I need you to remember that you are always only one idea away from a breakthrough. And it gets even better than that because I have countless stories that I could tell about when I was stuck and then just one idea helped me break through. And there's another way you can break through as well. You are always only one idea away from a breakthrough or only one relationship away from a breakthrough. And knowing that you can meet that person or have that thought or idea at any time should give you hope and excitement, even when you're stuck. You're always only one idea or one relationship away from your breakthrough. Just a few hours ago, we hosted one of our Impact Project support workshops. Well, what are these support workshops? These are for all of the alumni in the Ivy League Challenge. Everyone who has ever taken my course is invited. And everyone comes in and everyone's at different levels, right? Some people are just finishing the cohort for the first time. Others have been finished for quite some time and have already developed an impact project, have scaled that project and are doing amazing things. Some people are just trying to figure out how to take that first step. And we get all of these different people at these different stages together over Zoom and together over breakout rooms. We have a quick message at the beginning of the workshop and then we put people into breakout rooms and we assign them to do activities that, that increase their creativity. And then throughout the workshop, we continue to come back to this, where are you at with your ideas and your impact project? What's holding you up? How can we help you? How can the wisdom of the group support you? 
And what we find is it's quite common for someone who might be 13 or 14 years old to have the idea that helps someone break through. And it's also really common for two people to say, wow, I didn't know you were doing that. I'm doing something really closely related. Let's collaborate. And immediately our impact, if we collaborate, suddenly we go from a local community thing to an interstate or an international impact, right? Because sometimes we have students from outside the United States as well. And so when you are stuck, when you're trying to do something meaningful, when you're trying to do something great, I hope you remember that all entrepreneurs, all problem solvers, all great leaders, all impact project initiators face these challenges. It's totally normal. You are totally normal. The key is to remember that you're always only one idea or one relationship away from a breakthrough. So you stick with it. If you're trying to solve something that actually matters to you, then it should be easy to talk to people about it. Talk to people about where you're stuck. Talk to your friends, talk to your teachers, talk to your parents. But I do think I should point out, not everyone is going to be very helpful when you talk to them. A lot of people are not in that mindset of trying to solve real problems in the real world. And uh, I don't know your parents. I don't know your teachers. I don't know your friends. You may not have a lot of people who are in that mindset. So not everyone is able to think that way. However, that leads me to kind of some more advice. When we get to this, you, you're only a relationship away from a breakthrough. I've said this before, but it's really important that you get involved in communities that are active, that are proactive and creative and are working to solve a real problem in the real world, preferably working to solve the same problem that you're working to solve, right? Those ideas and that experience is going to be tremendous, can carry you and can help you through those times when you face those challenges. The, the thing that always makes me cringe and the thing that I'd like you to be aware of is so many people ask the question, how do I find an opportunity? And what are they saying? When people say, how do I find an opportunity? What they're saying is, I don't want to do the thinking because I might get stuck, right? I don't want to create this. I just want to find it. I want to participate. I want someone else to create it and then I find it and then I can participate. And you can tell me what to do and then I'll go do it. And I recognize the world needs a whole bunch of people who, are, who want to live their lives that way. That's totally fine. But for those of you who want to execute an impact project, for those of you who want to become entrepreneurs or CEOs or problem solvers in any real way, you have to be willing to take on the mindset of, wow, I'm, I'm only one idea or one relationship away from a breakthrough. Who can I talk to now? How can I get my ideas out? How can I brainstorm on a deeper level? Like those questions and that mindset is really critical for the kinds of people who want to be solving problems. And for people who have never tried to solve problems in the real world, people who have always spent their lives trying to fit in or trying to find an opportunity, trying to do what everyone else does and just kind of fitting into the system that already exists, those people are going to have a harder time talking you through solutions. And just be aware of that. You're a teenager, and maybe you're going to have to develop this skill at a higher level than your parents, your teachers, and all the other adults that are in your community. But if you can join other communities where there are these proactive, creative, problem-solving individuals, then you can develop that skill. And the last thing that I want to share with you, when you're feeling stuck and you just don't know what to do, I love this metaphor that I actually shared with my early years course. So because of the requests of you parents, those of you who uh, are in my Facebook group, the Parents of Ambitious Teens, 
I got so many requests to start an early years course. This is like the grades four through grade six or grade seven. And in those grades, it's really important. There's a couple of podcasts about this. You can go back and look at them. But I agree that this is important because when teenagers get into my program, the Ivy League Challenge, if they come in with a fixed mindset, then they're going to struggle. And so this early years course was all about a growth mindset and how do you develop that mindset? How do you develop the resilience and the self-talk and all the other tools that you can use to keep yourself open to growth, even though growth is difficult? And the metaphor that we used is building a bridge. Imagine that you're climbing up a mountain and you need to cross a steep ravine. Okay, there's this massive cliff uh, between where you're at and the other mountain that you need to get to, and you need to create a rope bridge from where you are to the other peak on the other side of that mountain. Okay, so there's a ravine in between you and you need to, you need to create a bridge. That first rope is the hardest. You have to put a hook on it, you know, you swing it and throw it and it has to connect to some rocks on the other side and get stuck well enough that you can cross. But when you cross that first time, that's definitely the hardest one to cross. You can bring rope with you and now you have two ropes and you can fasten those two ropes on both sides really, really securely so that then you bring over a third rope and a fourth rope and you go back and forth and pretty soon you're bringing planks that you can tie in and eventually you have a bridge that's easy to cross. And that skill of jumping from one mountain to the other requires that you take that first step. And that first rope that gets thrown over is always the hardest. And so it's okay to start small and build momentum. Start with just one rope. Don't start by building the entire bridge. You start with just one idea and you execute that and it's difficult, but your brain starts to figure things out. You talk to people, you develop those skills and it's okay. In fact, it's preferable to start small and build momentum rather than try to start as big as possible and just fizzle out like a shooting star. So my students and those who have never been in the Ivy League Challenge, those of you who follow my strategy by identifying your core values and then aligning those core values with your daily life, by choosing a problem that violates your core values and working to solve that problem, you will face challenges, you will face snags, you will get stuck. When you get stuck, remember, you're just one idea or one relationship away from a breakthrough. And when you break through, when you stick with it long enough to have that breakthrough, you can start building that bridge and making it easier and easier and easier and easier for the future when you get stuck again. You'll have this experience, you'll have developed all of the wonderful things that come with the lived experience of solving a real problem in the real world. And that is inspiring. That's where your real growth comes from. So don't be afraid of the challenge and don't be afraid to get stuck. Don't be afraid if you are stuck, don't be embarrassed. You're one idea or one relationship away from your breakthrough. Music for this episode came from We Are Here by Declare P. I'm Steve Gardner. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share with a friend. Thanks for listening.